Steve? Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all this morning, and what an incredible time of uh, a warm time of worship, despite the temperatures outside, and let's pray that that is the last cold spell for 2022. But for those of you who have been journeying with us or are joining us for the first time today, we as a church have been doing a series called Identity with the focus on that middle four letters, DENT, because as we try and live out our identities, we struggle with that. Because whether from internal dynamics or external dynamics, we are dented. And so we really struggle on planet Earth to live out our identities. And um, someone asked me this morning, why am I going to be speaking about what I'm going to be speaking about today? I think I'd be wrong to not speak about this. And I will introduce the topic in a second. Because it's kind of like stepping around the elephants in the room. Here we are as a church asking for God's perspective on our identity. And the world around us is having a very thorough and a very heated conversation around gender identity. And if we believe that God has some perspective for us this morning, we need to go there. And unless you've been living in a cave, you would know that this is really the conversation of our moment. And if you're trying to ignore the conversation, I promise you, one way or another, the conversation will find you. And so best we all be prepared in this. So some of the talking points that some of you may or may not be aware of, recently actress Ellen Page transitioning to actor Elliot Page, obviously a few years ago, Bruce Jenner transitioning to Caitlyn Jenner, Laurel Hubbard, the first transgender woman to compete in the Olympic Games in the weightlifting discipline. Closer to home, many of our schools are being mandated which personal pronouns they may and may not use. There are lawsuits about all of the above. And then, of course, some of us have people and friends in our lives who we know and love who are really finding this a complex conversation, either for themselves or those that they know are struggling through these exact issues. So before we get started, just a few opening thoughts. And the one is this, to really deal with this topic thoroughly, I would need, and I'm not even joking, hundreds of hours of preaching and conversations. And so in the next two hours, I'm never gonna be able to cover everything. And I say this because I will never be able to answer every question, every concern, every issue that you might have, but hopefully what we will do is lay the kind of groundwork upon which we can build our thinking. Something else I want to talk about, and this is not only true for me, it is true for every single one of us when it comes to this conversation and other difficult conversations like this, and that is the difference between principles and people. And I want to make the case that, especially when it comes to Jesus, and I'll illustrate this in a second, when it comes to principles, we need to lead with clarity. Hopefully a compassionate and a grace-filled clarity, but when it comes to people, we are to lead with compassion. And that compassion is what's going to maybe pave the way for some clarity. And I've already illustrated this, but just to remind us 
that I believe this is the way of Jesus. To use an example I referenced last week, when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount spoke about the concept of adultery, he says that not only is it when a man sleeps with another man's wife, but even if you think about it, even if you fantasize about it, in your mind, Jesus says you are as guilty of adultery. And I can imagine Jesus' disciples at that moment going, shh, don't say that. You're gonna get canceled, Jesus. But what is he doing? He's raising a high bar, but he's bringing clarity to a principle. But in John chapter eight, when Jesus encounters a woman who was guilty of adultery, did he lead with the principle? No, he led with compassion. And having established grace, and having established his heart for her, into that conversation, he could establish some truth. So I believe there's a divine order of grace and truth. And so today we're gonna to be speaking on both sides of this front. On one hand, we're gonna be speaking and seeking clarity around the principles of this issue, and at the same time, hopefully doing that compassionately, but recognizing these are not simply principles, these are people. And so I want to invite every single one of us to high levels of compassion. And the final thing I want to say before I dive in is that today's sermon only makes sense in light of the previous five sermons. There are principles and ideas that have been established over the last five weeks that I don't have the time to relay today. And so if some of what I say doesn't quite make sense and if it feels like the, the leaps that I'm making inductively are too big, it is because we've laid that foundation. But I will try and refer to those ideas when I can. Lastly, I'm going to try and stick to my notes as much as possible. All right, because otherwise we may be here too long. But the passage I'm gonna be reading from today, if you have your Bibles here, I believe a very important passage for this conversation, Matthew chapter 19, verses three to 12. If you don't have your Bibles here, the words will be on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 19, verses three to 12. Verse three, some Pharisees came to test him, came to test Jesus, and they asked. You see, they loved goading Jesus into these public debates. And they were always trying to one-up him and always trying to trap him and hopefully show him up for the simpleton they thought he was. And yet in every single occasion, Jesus kind of outsmarted them and showed the people around them the true hearts of God. So here's the question they ask for the public debate. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. And so Jesus responds, and I love his first few words, haven't you read, he replied. Now he's speaking to Bible nerds, and he's kind of trying to highlight that, yes, they may know the scriptures in some ways, but there's some things that they've missed out on, so he starts off by saying, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female, 
and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus quoting from Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter in the Bible. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined, let no man separate. So when asked about divorce, Jesus goes to what we as Christians would call pre-fall time. In other words, after creation, before there were messed up relationships in this world, before there was abuse, before there was divorce, before there was Playboy and Pornhub, before there was gender confusion, Jesus goes to the moments of creation and he says, here is the starting point for our thinking on all of these and related issues. Now, we're talking about transgender ideologies today. Jesus is not addressing necessarily that. But whenever Jesus or Paul talks about marriage and related issues, they always go here. Jesus, by doing this, by going to God's plan, he doesn't need to come up with a brand new answer for every deviation from God's plan. At the time, if Jesus had to come up with, oh, what about this issue? Oh, let me think about that. What about this issue? Let me think about that. The Bible would be twice the size. And since then, humans have an amazing ability to find sexual deviations from God's intention. And so, no, Jesus doesn't come up with a different answer. In every occasion, he says, let's go back to God's creative intentions. So the Pharisees continue in the debate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So now they're doing the Bible debate thing. They're quoting Bible to Jesus, which is a very bad idea. I raise this point because the scriptures do, but just because somebody quotes Bible doesn't mean they're referencing God's heart. And on this particular issue, as much as I am going to try and be as careful as possible, there are those who quote Bible and sometimes in very nuanced ways and arrive at different conclusions to the ones we're going to arrive at today. And we need to know that. But Jesus bypasses all of their questions, all of their what-ifs, all of their theologizing, and he goes back right to God's creative intention. He says, well, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Going right back there, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, oh my word, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. That's not a bumper sticker verse for your car, by the way. <laughs> All right, just quick question. Principle or person? Principle. Jesus is being asked a principled question and he is bringing clarity into this idea of principle 
And just like the earlier example that I gave you, he raises the bar so high to the point of being potentially offensive. And the disciples are like, oh my gosh, if that's the standard, man, can anybody get married? Just by the way, when Jesus engaged persons, John chapter four, a woman who had multiple divorces, how did he respond? Compassion. Compassion, revealing himself to her and then laying the foundation for truth and transformation. This is a tension that we sometimes get the wrong way around. So somehow principles we lead with clarity. People we lead with compassion. So Jesus says here, not everyone can accept this word. Some of us are struggling with that word today, but only those to whom it has been given. Now here's where it gets more closely associated to where we're going today. I don't know if you've ever read the following verses and wondered, Jesus, where on earth are you going with this? So he starts talking about eunuchs. Eunuchs, by the way, people who have been castrated in some form or another. He says, for there are eunuchs who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Once again, hard teaching. The one who can accept this should accept this. So let's think about what Jesus has just said. He said, God's creative intention was a binary view of sex and gender, male and female. And he bypasses all the what ifs by going there. And at the same time, Jesus raises this concept of eunuchs. If we think about it, this is someone who for whatever reason, and reasons we will discuss in a second, fall outside of God's intended creative order. And he says, well, people get to this position for a number of reasons. He says, some were made this way by others. Some people fall outside of God's creative design. Why? Because people did something to them. Here's a good time for me to introduce a term to you. And the term is gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria refers to the high levels of distress that someone experiences when for whatever reason, let's just hold our judgments, they experience a dissonance between their internal sense of gender and their biological sex. And this is something that we should not take lightly, regardless of your views on these things. This is highly distressing and leads to high levels of anxiety and depression in people's lives. This is not the kind of thing you throw a few verses at and throw a bit of guilt at and tell people to just stop it. That never worked in any other area of life. Why here? And so when it comes to this very serious issue of people struggling with gender identity and experiencing gender dysphoria, one of the big questions is always, why? Why do some people land here? 
And I don't have time today to try and deal with some of the ways science has attempted, in often conflicting ways, trying to answer that question. But Jesus simply says that in some cases, the reason why that person is there is because someone did something to them. For some people, the sense of their internal sense of gender being messed up is as a result of sexual abuse. Early exposure to sex and pornography from a young age. Even the secular world is starting to understand how pornography rewires our brain. Maybe these people have been exposed to other forms of abuse and bullying. Various forms of brokenness in parents or other close relationships causing somehow a repulsion or attraction to Genders that may not be their own. So Jesus says some are in this place as a result of things that people have done to them. He also says some people are in this place because they were born this way. So Jesus is referring to people who have atypical sexual anatomy. And why are they like that? Well, they were born that way. The phrase we would use today is, intersex. So somehow Jesus can say on one hand, God's intention was that there is male and female, and there are those who fall outside of these categories, sometimes because of trauma they've experienced. And for some strange reason, some are born this way. And this is where I want to go back to the foundation that was laid three weeks ago, where we spoke about Don't be true to you. Because according to the biblical theology of self, meaning who are you, the biblical understanding is you are two yous. There is the one you that is created by God, that is created by God, that God wants to free, God wants to release God wants to heal. God wants that you to reflect him to everyone around us. But every single one of us struggles to live out that you because of the other you. The Bible calls it the old self or the sinful nature. Every single one of us has an old you. Ephesians chapter four describes this you as being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Think about that. There are desires in you that are connected to the new you, the you created by God. And there are desires in you which are corrupting you, which are deceiving you. And so when the world says, just be true to you, which you are you gonna be true to? Which desires are you going to live out? And so when we understand there is an old self which is corrupting me, which this side of heaven, we're gonna fight till the day we die. There are conflicting desires within me and it's gonna affect all aspects of my life. It affects my relationships. It affects my internal world and it affects our sexual lives. And the reason why I'm talking about our sexual lives is because please don't, in in conversations like this, 
Please don't fall into the trap of thinking, well, there are those who have sexual brokenness and then there's the rest of us. The question is more, what does your sexual brokenness look like? Every single person in this room has levels of sexual brokenness that we have to face, that we have to figure out how does God transform this side of my life. And even those of you who have been able to find a healthy way of expressing yourself sexually in godly ways, there are still desires inside of you that you are fighting down because that old self is still there, right? And for every single one of us, if we had to fully embrace and fully live out and act out every sexual impulse that you have, by the end of the week, there would not be a marriage intact. By the end of the week, there would not be a family intact. Some of you would be in hospital and some of you would be in prison. So some of these urges within us have been messed up in us because of people. And that's why we go to counseling. That's why we figure out what's happened in my life that has caused these injuries within me that is kind of messing things up inside of me. That's why we go to the journey, not for the broken people, for all of us. So some of us have these urges messed up by men. Some of these urges, it's just a mystery. Why do I have this inside of me? Where do these desires and these urges come from? And for some, the answer is we really don't know, but it just really seems like I've always been this way. But this is what scriptures call the old self. And so this is why it doesn't help to say, but God made me this way. If you're going to rubber stamp every desire that you have inside of you with God made me this way, man, we're going to land up in a very, very crazy world. So every single person in this room has to decide which of these desires are conforming to who God is making me to be and which of these desires are perverting that, which of these desires are coloring that and disguising that and are part of my old self. And Jesus says, these desires are not to be embraced. They are to be denied. We all have to figure that out. Even for those who are not Christians, they may say with some of the things that Christians would say, no, I, I don't know if we agree on this. They might say certain desires are good, but they will still have other desires they'll say are bad. For example, Someone who chooses to live in a same-sex monogamous relationship, in essence, they're saying, is the same-sex desire good, but any desire to be with multiple partners bad? There's still a sense of adjudication. What gets green-lighted, what gets red-lighted? And culture is still at a place where if someone says, I have certain desires, and sorry to be explicit here, but adults being sexually with children, or even worse, please don't use your imaginations, 
culture would still say those desires ought to be suppressed and denied and red-lighted. And you need help. What I'm trying to show you here is if you root your identity, including your sexual identity, in culture and in your inner world, that is a sliding scale. And who knows where that's going? Because you'll always be at the mercy of the latest green light that culture is giving you. You see, this is the real fork in the road. The real difference between where culture is going in this conversation and what I believe is the biblical worldview is, do I locate my, my identity in an external reality, which includes my biological external reality, and who God the Father says I am, sermon one of the series, or do I locate my identity in this murky, weird inner life? Now add to that cultural stereotypes. We're on one hand, the culture's kind of saying, well, let's do away with male-female binaries and let's talk about gender fluidity. But if you're a female, you must look like this. Jennifer Aniston. And if you're a male, you must look and act like this. Jason Momoa. Aquaman, for those of you who don't know who I'm talking about. In other words, if you're female then you must look like this, wear paint on your face and have long hair and skirts. Just by the way, watch Braveheart, where these warrior men had paint on their faces and long hair and wore skirts. Anyway, just putting that out there. <laughs> and if you're a dude, you must hunt and swear and eat lots of meat and look like Jason Statham or Jason Momoa. Now, in so many ways, culture is saying, if you don't fit those stereotypes, you're not feminine enough or you're not masculine enough. And so the lie culture starts feeding you is, therefore maybe you're not that or that. Please don't believe that if you don't fit into the mold of Jennifer Aniston or Jason Momoa, that somehow you are less male or less female. Please don't feel like that the you that God did create to represent in your way, your gender and your identity in Christ that somehow you need to suppress that for the sake of cultural stereotypes. Please don't drink that Kool-Aid. Bianca and I often joke about this. If you kind of look at over the years, the presents that we give one another or receive from family and friends, we often joke that we are the opposite on the scale. For example, the kinds of gifts Bianca's received over the years, belt sander, reciprocating saw. Me, pasta machine and chef knives. I mean, if you're going to be a female and live out your God-given femininity in a Sudanese tribe, 
That's going to look very different to a female executive in Sandton City. So now we've been looking at Matthew 19. We've seen how Jesus affirms God's creative attentions, the binary of gender, and he acknowledges that for various reasons, some people fall outside of these categories. Some were made that way by men. Some were, or by others, some were born this way. I want to talk about the final category that he raises in this verse, and this is where things get a little bit tougher. In verse 12, second half, and he says, and there are those who choose... To live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. It's Matthew's way of saying the kingdom of God, gospel of Christ. Oh, by the way, the one who can accept this should accept this. And here's where Jesus is saying is, is for those who, for whatever reason, are falling outside of God's creative intentions. He's not saying, well, you're lost. But what it might mean, if, if you're gonna follow me and if you're gonna live your life for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the gospel, the very dear cost that some of you might need to carry is the cost of living like a eunuch. In other words, a life of celibacy. Listen, as I say this, I just want to underscore, I don't know if you've ever had conversations where this is the future they're facing. Someone who's experienced the gender dysphoria or some level of distress concerning who they think they are compared to some of their external world. High levels of shame. Suicidal tendencies. Psychological comorbidities like depression, anxiety. Am I acceptable by others, by God? Culture's telling me I'm not male enough, I'm not female enough, therefore there's something wrong with me. And in the name of compassion, I know that something inside of some of us wants to go, Jesus, this teaching is too hard. You see, part of that assumes another cultural lie. We live in such a highly sexualized culture. It's, it's oxygen to us. It's hard for us to imagine a culture that's not the way that it is. But we have come to believe that in order to be fully human, you have to express yourself sexually and live out and act out your sexual desires. Now, I know what I'm about to say will hold no water for anyone who's not a follower of Jesus Christ. But if we think about the Apostle Paul, never married. And yet he found great joy in Christ. Great purpose in being human. Great joy in this world. And I'm sure there were moments where he felt that loneliness and where he was acutely aware of those desires within him. And yet he never actualized those desires and yet gave us half the New Testament. But that's just the Apostle Paul. Let's talk about the only perfect human being that has ever lived, Jesus Christ. Not only is he the fullness of God, but he is the only perfect human being. 
the fullest expression of God's intention for humanity never expressed his sexuality. So please don't believe the lie. And I understand the costs that if you don't get to live out your sexuality, you are somehow less than or you are missing out on being human. For those of you who don't struggle with gender identity, I'm hoping you're seeing with great compassion the cost that some of our friends and family are facing when it comes to reconciling where they're at and following Christ or the potential of following Christ or still continuing to follow Christ. But let me say this. This teaching of Jesus only makes sense. You notice what he says. Some may choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of This teaching only makes sense when the cost is less than what they are gaining. And so if we only talk about the cost, if you want to be a Christian, this is what you must do. This is what you're not allowed to do. And if that's the end of the conversation, no wonder we're in such a tough spot. But for every single one of us, we all have a cross to bear There is a cost to following Jesus. Jesus says we should deny ourselves and carry a cost. So that includes all of us. However, for some, yes, the cross is bigger. The cost is greater. However, we have to look at what do we gain in Christ? And this cost only makes sense when what we gain in Christ is more than the costs. Now I can tell you that what you gain in Christ is more than the cost, but that makes no sense until somehow God, and I believe God is the only one who can do this, switches the light on inside of your heart. And where the beauty of Christ, His grace, His power, His kindness, the truth of who He is, suddenly becomes so appealing and so attractive that what I will gain in Him Yes, there's a cost, but it's greater and better. For some, this process of embracing Christ and living a life of very slow and painful transformation, once again, true for every single one of us. For some, this eventually looks like being able to live out in inverted commas, a normal heterosexual life. That's not the goal. The goal is not to convert you or change you, but to get you to depend on Christ. And for some, that is where it goes. And I know people that that is their testimony. For others, just like God can miraculously heal you, And yet others need to somehow live with certain difficulties in our lives in the same way. Some may over time discover that this part of their life gets transformed while others still carry the limp. I know some very godly Christians and godly Christian leaders for whom the sense of dysphoria, the sense of a struggle with gender identity hasn't gone away over decades of faithfulness. So they have opted for this third category. I will count the costs 
just like you and I are denying our flesh, I will deny my flesh for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I honor those people. In speaking to those who have experienced what Jesus is talking about here, those who have counted the cost and have come to him, or maybe reading testimonies and the books of those who have come from this life of either active homosexuality, struggling with same-sex attraction, gender identity, confusion. No one has ever come to Christ because someone told them there was something wrong with them and they must change. But the stories of those who have come to Christ, it's always because there were those who made Christ's love tangible in their lives and loved them in such a way that they reflected the love of Jesus to them in a very real way. And yes, at times, we're able to have some conversations, maybe seeking clarity, maybe some debates around these issues, but in the context of a relationship where they are convinced of these people's love for them. And slowly, the beauty of Christ and the gospel becomes real. Just by the way, if you're ever having a conversation with someone who struggles with any of these issues, please, 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 don't make sexuality and gender the main topic of every conversation. Since when do we do that anytime else? Hi, my name is Stephen. Tell me about your porn problem. Let me tell you what Jesus says about adultery. No, just stop it, please. Rather focus on loving them like Christ. I'm not saying never talk about this stuff. I want to give you an example of what this can look like. I've quoted this author before. His author and pastor, his name's Caleb Kaltenbach. He tells a story in a book called Messy Grace, but listen to the subtitle of this book. How a pastor with gay parents learned to love others without sacrificing conviction. That's pretty much his testimony. He tells a story about how he was raised by three gay parents. Both his mom and dad discovered same-sex attraction and got divorced. And so he had his dad on one hand and his mom and new mom, and that's how he grew up. They were super active in the gay community. He was dragged along to kind of gay pride parades and he was loved by his parents and he was loved by their friends. He also saw and felt the hate specifically of Christians where he talks about having urine thrown on him at some of these parades. Now I know not everyone responds like that, but that's what he experienced. And he would go home on days like that and his moms would sit him down and say, Caleb, those are Christians. And if you're not like them, they won't like you. And that's the life that he grew up in and the life that he learned. In high school, he was invited to a high school Bible study. And he said, challenge accepted. I'm gonna go in and be a ninja Christian and pretend I'm a Christian with the real goal of proving to them Jesus is not real. Well, Jesus had other plans for him. He got saved, saw the one and the beauty of Christ, 
and started to have his idea of God's plan for sexuality deeply challenged. And when he, ironically, came out as a Christian to his parents, he got kicked out, 16 years old. And so, very difficult time, but as time passed by, he missed his parents and they missed him and eventually they welcomed back, him back into their home. But it was tense for many years. But over time, as I think everyone matured and love kind of managed to just keep them together, they started to develop a different kind of respect for one another. He eventually became a pastor, but yet still having such a deep love for his gay parents. But over time, as he just focused on loving them, and yes, in God-directed moments with such love and compassion and winsomeness, having very open conversations with them, all of his parents met Jesus. And to this day, their own same-sex attraction has not gone away. One of them has died. But yet they found a community who would accept them knowing their story. And they said, we're happy for the sake of what we're gaining in Christ to deny ourselves. See, I believe that the gospel is the only thing that gives us what we truly want beneath all of this. And that is complete acceptance. Despite all my failures, all my shame, and whether you call it this or not, all my sin, I don't have to do anything to perform for God in Christ. Remember last week's sermon, Romans 15 verses seven, accept one another then as Christ has accepted you. The way Christ accepted you was not change first, then I'll accept you. No, I love you, I accept you now. Let me walk you by the hand and let me slowly start transforming your heart and your desires in different dynamics of your life. Is there anyone in this room who after five years or 50 years of being a Christian have worked out all the kinks of all of your stuff? If you have, please, here's the mic. <laughs> Even Paul says, not that I have achieved all of these things. Is there anyone in this room who has worked out every single kink in your own sexual brokenness? If you think the answer is yes, you're lying or deceived. Every single one of us, God has been so kind to us to walk a journey with us, to be patient with us and lead us towards transformation. But only the gospel gives you that. You don't have to tick any boxes. I also believe the gospel is the only way to true freedom to be who God did create you to be. And true love. And so the same Jesus who is the truth and the way 
is the same Jesus who calls us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. No exception clauses. And so regardless of where you are in this conversation, every single one of us needs to start at a starting point of receiving grace from Christ. Now, if there's 200 people in the room, there are 200 different things going on inside of every single one of you. So I'm not gonna be able to touch base on all of those, but I do wanna bring us all before God and pray for all of us to be saturated with His grace and kindness. And He will apply that where we need it. So let's pray. Father, we sang this morning how you are so holy. And your word says that as far as the heavens are above the earth, so your ways are above our ways. How much more is your holiness from us? And God, instead of calling us to climb the ladder of holiness to achieve a standard of acceptance, for everyone in this room, Jesus, you climbed down the ladder into our broken world and took on my brokenness and my sin and my failures. No exceptions. And then you climbed on a cross to die for me so that that part of me could die in you and that you would give me your life. That is the starting point for everyone in this room. The unmerited grace that we get given in Christ. God, again, there's not a person in this room that would say, there hasn't been a cost to following you, Jesus. But I pray that for all of us, the sense of what we gain in you, the life that you give, your living water, your sustenance, joy in you, the joy of knowing Christ in this world and forevermore in the next, I pray that you would allow us to see and perceive that with greater reality. The things you are calling each and every single one of us to deny, we are happy to deny for the sake of the kingdom of God. Because we get you, we gain you. And in doing so, your word says, we somehow find ourselves, our true selves. God, forgive us when it comes to people who we don't understand what they've been struggling with, the cost of their experiences that we've responded in dismissive, trite ways, misrepresented your kingdom to them, closed the gates of the kingdom to them. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for when you say, come to me as you are, we've expected others to change first. 
God, I pray for anyone in this room who is looking at you and looking at their inward experience and it's such a battle right now. And something in us wants to say, Jesus, that teaching is too hard. I don't know if I can accept that. God, I pray for the grace of your light to shine so bright in their hearts, to be so overwhelmed with your love and your kindness and your compassion. Let that be the starting point of your conversation with them. Holy Spirit, would you be ministering to every person separately and individually and powerfully and transformatively? We thank you for clarity in you and your wisdom. But we also thank you for such unmerited grace and compassion. Father, we're all going to go home and engage our worlds and our lives in such different ways. But would your spirit go with us? Would we take steps with you, Jesus? Whatever that means, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, if this in any way has been helpful to you, I want to encourage you, and maybe some of you have kids 10, 11, 12 years old, maybe teenage kids, that you feel like this could be such a helpful framework for me to open up a conversation. Please feel free to do that, and the resources are always available online. And if anybody else would like any further prayer, please, uh, us as leaders, we'd love to be available to you. God bless you. Have a wonderful, warm rest of your Sunday. Amen.